Friends, it is good to see you. It is Advent 3, so we, we're making our way through Advent. We are moving towards Christmas, and typically, right, thematically, we're looking at joy, as you've probably become aware of now, right? I want to use this working definition, one that um, I think is appropriate for us, just to kind of help us ground ourselves in today's text, right? Um, and the distinction really between joy and happiness is important. We've spent a lot of time actually trying to parse this out in other sermons, so I'm not going to do that. But I do want to just give us what I think will be a helpful um, definition for us today. Um, the first is happiness is something we can pursue, right? In fact, our founding documents state that, right? This idea that we can actually pursue happiness we can pursue happiness, it means something, it means it's something that we can also lose, right? Um, and it, it tends to be a little more fickle and external. Joy, as we heard in the liturgy that Gary and Sean read, the one that Rebecca wrote, joy is a state of being. It's something that is, remains rather constant regardless of external circumstances, okay? We'll use that for today. And it's really, Advent 3 is my favorite Sunday in Advent, mainly because it, <laughs> the congregation is full on this Sunday. This is typically our largest uh, day in the life of Advent. It is, uh, it's full, uh, the stage is full, right? The poinsettias have arrived. Our congregation is, is larger. Gary and Sean joining our church this morning. Typically, Advent 3 is an opportunity for us to recognize that we are getting close, right? We're getting really, really close to Christmas. In fact, many of you will not be present uh, next Sunday because you've already scattered. You've already made your way to family or friends, and Christmas is kind of underway. And so, in many ways, Advent 3 is on the precipice of what we are gathering um, and waiting for, right? this being that Christ chooses uh, to show up in our midst. And then, really before we know it, it's going to be like February 23rd. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be like unusually hot that day for some reason. Work's already going to be pitiful. We're already going to have tests or homework or failed New Year's resolutions staring at us in the face, right? And all of a sudden, Christmas is but a distant memory. And so today's theme of joy isn't simply about getting you ready for Christmas Day to experience Christmas Day. Y'all are pretty good at that on your own. I catch up with you. I know what you're doing on Instagram. I see the holiday parties you're attending, right? You're pretty good at getting ready for Christmas on your own. Rather, today is uh, one step in preparing us to live every day, even February 23rd, right? Rooted in this truth of Christmas that God has chosen to draw near to us, which should be a profound source of joy for all of us. And yet, that's a tough ask. It is hard to remain joyful. Our text this morning is found in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And I'm going to be reading um, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. 
Paul says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Iodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul goes on to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, convenient, right, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer the one who invites us into this deep place of joy. May we, may we find one another there. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas, you brood of vipers. (laughs) I just, I couldn't resist, I had to do it. I'm just joking. Listen to last week's sermon if that doesn't make sense. I got a, a, a beautiful gift right before worship, which is a coffee mug uh, with that inscribed on it. So uh, I can't wait to drink out of it next Sunday. But today, instead of John's words of fire and brimstone, uh, we get a gentler side of Paul. I wouldn't say a more humble side of Paul, but at least we get this gentler side of Paul. And last week, remember, we were invited to really choose a side, to get off the middle ground. That choice that John the Baptist pushes us to make is one that gets us to this place of clarity. We know who we are waiting for. We must move to that place so we can wait effectively. That, my friends, gives us a sense of peace. That was last week. This week is joy, 
And it is a reality, quite honestly, that we experience as we mature in our faith. Joy is not cheap. It doesn't come easy. Rather, it arrives when we have a fullness or a better understanding of what God is doing in our life and how God remains faithful regardless of what's happening around us. Paul's hope here in his letter to the church in Philippi, his hope for this congregation is a steadfast trust in Jesus Christ. And that steadfast trust then has an output. Something tangible exists when we learn to live with that trust. Paul says, a joy and peace that remains will, will remain at the center of a faithful Christian's life regardless of the circumstance, which sounds great. But the challenge for us is, well, I think, easily identifiable. The world is just an awful place. It's messy. It's broken, it's confusing, it doesn't make sense. And finding this sort of joy that can withstand all that we see around us is really more difficult than Paul is leading on. Now, don't get me wrong, it gets a bit covered or masked during this time of year. In this season, lights are everywhere and the buzz is palpable. Holiday parties that are actually fun are unfolding and we get to attend them, right? We get to give gifts, we get to receive gifts, we get to spend time with family or friends. We get to maybe some space to breathe, a little bit of time off of work. Now, I'm not saying that the Christmas season is easy for everyone. In fact, there are many of us who struggle during this time of year, whether that's because of loss or estrangement or mental health, right? But the truth is, right, Christmas can kind of mask the realities in which we're living in. The season of Christmas, even with my cultural critique that I often bring to you all, is still pretty great. It's lovely. It's beautiful. Christmas tastes good, right? It is a season that we can find and pursue happiness. And yet, here's the truth. We will put Christmas away. Literally. <laughs> Literally, we are going to take down Christmas. The sanctuary, after Epiphany, because we're a liturgical church, we'll take all this stuff down. We'll take down the tree and the garland and the lights and the poinsettias. We'll either be taken to your home or put in the dumpster, right? Like, it will go away. We will put all of this away. Christmas will be boxed up and shoved into the attic. And my neighbor will literally deconstruct the word joy in the front of their home that's all decorated beautifully right now. They will literally take all the lights off of the word joy, unscrew the letters from the base, and put it into a box. Joy will be taken down. And we'll be left with dark streets because daylight savings hasn't come yet, and we will be left with empty trees and the, 
the death that kind of is visible in the darkness of winter. And so Paul's gentle and seemingly achievable words for us right now on February 23rd, right, will seem rather impossible. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. Seems unlikely, <laughs> given the current state of the, word, of the world. The Lord is near, Paul says. I'd like to see how he shows us the Lord's nearness in Kentucky right now, right? Do not worry about anything. Nothing. Do not worry about anything. Paul clearly isn't writing this letter in the midst of a global pandemic. And so on the surface, today's text can feel like the epistle's version of the hollow thoughts and prayers tweets that we read about, right? That still haven't brought about any sort of meaningful change regarding gun violence in this country, regardless of how many times people tweet out thoughts and prayers. Paul seems to be dishing out these general platitudes and hopes that they will sustain a community beyond his own ministry. And yet, if we know Paul, we know he is on to something. Paul is pushing a community to dig into this new reality that comes to us as a gift. And Paul speaks with authority from this position. Paul's authority comes not simply from his relationship he has with this church. And believe me, he loves this church in Philippi. Nor does his authority come from his own testimony and radical conversion story. But the authority in which Paul is urging this church to rejoice always is because... Paul is writing this letter while he is in prison. And when we are aware that Paul is pinning this letter while he is locked up, it changes how we interact with this text and it allows Paul's words to carry significantly more weight. It moves from the generic thoughts and prayers tweet to a real call to action for us as a people of faith. Paul isn't simply sending the church a half-hearted, attaboy, keep going letter. Paul is describing something that is so transformative that even being in the custody of the Roman Empire can't strip it away from him. And now, right, and now let's hear these words again, knowing that Paul's penning them while behind a locked jail cell door. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
That, my friends, is an invitation. One that is written not only to the church in Philippi, but us today. Because we, as a people of faith, have the capacity to live joyfully every day. And as ridiculous as that sounds, and as impossible as it may seem, the joy we have access to comes to us when we truly find the story of Jesus as a story worth adopting. And when we adopt the story of Jesus, joy can begin to take root in our life when we believe in it, when we begin to live with it, and we begin to share it with others. When the story of Jesus is something we can believe in, it is something that we can live out, and it is something that we can share with others. Friends, that's how joy can take root, deep roots in our lives, and joy becomes rather steadfast in the midst of who we are, even when the world is swirling about. You see, joy is ours when we believe that God chooses us. This is the heart of Christianity. As much as we look to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ, that all unfolds after God chooses to dwell among us. God chooses in, to enter into creation, to take on human form, to be in relationship with us. Jesus' own ministry, life, death, and resurrection is an act then of love. And our steadfast joy, that joy that Paul is speaking about, is dependent on our ability to trust that you, specifically you, are loved by God. And the best news of all is you can't earn it, you can't escape it, you can't lose it. Paul says that nothing, when he's writing to the Romans, Paul says nothing will separate us from God's love. Absolutely nothing. But until we believe that, until we can trust that, we will continue to fail living joyfully each and every day. We will fail to experience the true joy that is ours because of Christmas. But belief isn't the only thing we have to do to embody joy. Even when it feels far away, we must essentially... <laughs> I was a wasp, by the way. It got close. <laughs> Y'all, one of my greatest fears is wasps, by the way. So just, uh, you know, so erratic and unpredictable. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> but belief isn't the only thing we have uh, to practice, to embody joy. Even when joy feels far away, we must essentially do what? We must actually practice it. Kind of that whole fake it till you make it thing. 
Joy is then a conscious decision, one that we have to try to experience even in the midst of our most difficult days. And Paul knows this. And it's why he reminds the church to be gentle with everyone, right? Which seems ridiculous, I will admit. Gentle with babies and children? Yes, you should be. And I do a pretty good job of that. Not perfect, but I'll put a check mark next to that one, right? Gentle with my coworkers or family? Check. Gentle, gentle with strangers and marginalized folks? I'm working on it, but I'm going to lean check, right? But gentle with my enemies? Gentle with opposing uh, political parties? Gentle with people that aren't gentle with me? Yeah, I've got work to do, right? And yet we know that Paul is serious when he says gentleness, right? With everyone. Paul is serious, and he has a documented history of this, right? Because Paul befriends those who put him in prison. Paul's serious about this because we see this demonstrated in Paul's life. He has a history of loving even his captors. So joy is experienced not only when we believe Jesus' story, but joy is experienced when we begin to practice that story in the form of joy, even when it feels far off and distant. And finally, this is the good news for us today and why I love Advent 3. Joy is best cultivated when it is shared within a community. It's best cultivated when we, as a community of faith, remind one another that there is something more, that joy is truly tangible and real within the lives of our individual members, but also within the life of the community as a whole. How can I learn joy? How can I practice it? How can I experience it? How can I know it's there even in the darkest of my days? It's all about us doing this thing together. The church as a community, as a family, serves as a constant reminder that the light born to us on Christmas, right, illuminates the world and the darkness, we are told, does not, will not overcome it. And the truth is, I need you to remind me of that. And you need the person sitting next to you or in front of you or all the way at the back of the sanctuary to remind you of that. Because we are a fickle people and we will forget. In fact, we're prone to forgetting. And that's why we do this thing together. Paul says, he goes on to say, keep doing all the things you have seen in me, and then you will experience peace. See, Paul recognizes that there are times where it will be hard for us as individuals to see where Jesus is. 
It will be hard for us to make sense of how Jesus and the Holy Spirit, how God is at work in our lives. But we are given an opportunity. We don't have to see all the way in front of us. We just have to see right to the person who is standing right next to us. That's the good news. We don't have to see Jesus clearly, but if the person next to us sees Jesus clearly, all we have to do is watch what they're doing, how they're behaving, how they're living joyfully, and it begins to affect us, wear off on us, and invites us to keep joy at the center of our life. So the truth is your participation, you're willing to show up on Advent 3 is really, really important. Guess when it is also important? On February 23rd. I don't know if that's a Sunday or not, but it sounded good and worked with the sermon, right? It's good for you to be here this day. It will also be really good for you to be here some random Sunday in February because I need you and the person next to you needs you. Because that is how we begin to experience and cultivate joy together. Joy then is multiplied when shared, right? There isn't a finite amount of it. And remember this, friends. And in a few days, we're going to gather in this space at 6 and 11. And we're going to light candles. And we're going to hoist those candles up into the air, piercing the darkness. And you will see more clearly because that light is in front of you. But so will others. Others will see more clearly because that light is raised by your hands. The joy that we are craving is found when we are willing to share it with others. And the best news of all is we don't have to wait until Christmas Eve to start. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.